Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter.com or I guess Blue Sky as well at Braden Gall. And I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. I'm still not on Blue Sky. Sorry. And I'm Emma Lingen from the Hockey Writers. You can follow me on Twitter at Emma underscore Lingen. And I also am not yet on Blue Sky. A ton of great stuff. Big stuff. Have a lot of conversations. We're going to have a lot of fun today on the show. But like, I feel like we kind of shorted you last week, Emma. Um, it just sort of happened in the middle, like right of the middle of introductions. You just sort of were like, oh, part of the show. Um, I guess we should say formally to everybody, welcome to the show officially as a third host. Emma Lingen, thank you for uh, being a part of the team with us. Looking forward to having you with us through the end of the season, the trade deadline. And as long as you'll, as long as you want to hang out, Emma. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Yeah. It kind of threw me last week too. You just pointed at me and I was like, Oh, I guess I'm introducing myself now. Okay. So <laughs> uh, glad to officially be here hanging out with you guys. Yes. That's the, that's the amount of pre-show prep we had last week. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was just pointing at you. Uh, so uh, obviously two, two players, folks that if if you've listened to this show long enough uh you're going to learn one to that you already know and you're going to learn another one but Igor Afanasyev and Cole Smith two two players very near and dear to my two co-hosts hearts we're going to have some time uh talking talking about those two players today um Yusuf Parson and sent down what does it mean there's always a corresponding move so we'll get to that up oh, there we go Minka's early today on the pod I like that um <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, some some trade deadline strategy that Barry Trotz has had some some things to say about, not just locally, but around the hockey world. So we'll get into that. Uh, and of course, this team is largely settled into 500 hockey over the course of the last month. So what do we think of that? Who's been disappointing in all of this? And what do we think the corresponding moves could be to all of this stuff? I know you guys are working on some stuff uh, about Cody Glass and about the trade deadline. So we'll get to all that good stuff uh, coming up. However... The gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. There we go. But I took that segment off. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, Jaspers, good news for all of you folks out there. You Predators fans, they never take a day off. They never take a shift off. Um, they never get sent to Milwaukee either. There's, there's always right there on West end um, and free parking. That never changes. The free game room never changes. And of course, uh, we've got all kinds of drink specials, home and road games for National Predators games, so make sure you go check them out. We'll tell you a little bit more about Jasper's a little bit later on in the show. But you guys know the drill. Jasper's has been a great partner of this show for, I don't know, multiple two years, three years now, uh, and they've been a partner of the Predators for a very long time since opening right in the middle of 2020. And so uh, gonna, we, we do appreciate their support, which means you guys should all go out there and support as well. Share the show. Share the product with somebody that you know. Uh, there's lots of Preds fans out there, and if they're not listening... Please tell them about it. We do appreciate you guys uh, there. So uh, obviously, Cole Smith's contract, Yusuf Arsene getting sent down and the corresponding moves, some games coming up, uh, some some one-loss games <laughs> in the past uh, as well, home struggles, all kinds of stuff. But uh, I do want to say, first of all, shout out to um, It's All Your Fault Pod over there with Jeremy Gover in the Nashville scene in the Nashville Post. Uh, really great conversation about the very first team that ever existed in Nashville Predators history coming back into town and sort of being celebrated. So if you want to go listen to, to Gover talk about that, nobody, I don't think, guys, anybody can wax poetically about 1999 hockey players uh, better than Jeremy K. Gover can. So <laughs> maybe, maybe Barry Trotz can. He probably, he probably, <laughs> Barry and Jeremy together, which would be a really 
interesting shaped uh <laughs> shaped conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think those two would have an absolute ball just talking about Cliff Ronning for like an hour. <laughs> an crazy. hour? Are you kidding me? Ta- try like six or seven hours. Yeah, for those yeah. of you that don't know, Barry Trotz has never given a short answer to anything. <laughs> so if you want to hear a really good conversation, uh, Nick Keezer, of course, over there with Jeremy K. Gover on the It's All Your Fault podcast, partnered up here on the scene in the post with us at the Gold Standard. So go check that out. Um, I also want to, I want to plug to Nashville Hockey Now, Nick Keezer. The second part of his 25th anniversary story is up there, and he, he spoke to Scott Hartnell, Cliff Ronning, uh, Scott Walker, Kimo Timonen. So go check that out, too. It, it's 1,500 words, but it's it's well worth it. There's a lot of information in there and a lot of good stories from some of the Predators OGs. Yep, and, and I think ultimately uh, one of the main points that I've always said for a long time, the difference between the Predators and the Titans, for example, uh, is that one was born here and one was adopted. And the Predators were born here and they've now had an entire generation of, of, of people that have grown up with this team here. And that is why I think the brand is more deeply entrenched with the, the people of this city than even the Titans are, despite the fact that the NFL is 10 times the size of the NHL. Um, w- one of them was, was born here and originated here and it's from here. And that's different than, uh, than, than, than you carpet baggers, you NFL, you NFL carpet baggers from houston <laughs> so uh, okay emma let's start with you you were at practice on wednesday recording this wednesday afternoon um i know you're you're working on some stuff with cody glass we'll get into some of the players that we think have you know unfortunately not lived up to expectations this year but it seems like maybe there are some roster and lineup changes coming in your opinion yeah so i mean obviously there have been a couple they, they've Preds have lost three out of their last four. That last game against Florida was just another just kind of really bad home loss, you know, pretty inexcusable the way that went down. Obviously, the the score was a little lopsided with a couple empty net goals at the end, but overall just not not a really good showing. So as you could probably imagine after that, there was going to be a mix up in the lineup, whether that involved roster moves or just kind of changing things around in the starting lineup. And it looks like we got both. So obviously you mentioned earlier, Yusuf Parsonen, he got sent down and then uh, Cole Smith got signed to his contract extension, but watching the forward line rushes at practice today, obviously this doesn't confirm that this is what they're going to look like in Minnesota tomorrow, but pretty indicative. That's likely what we're going to see. Saw some changes, uh, especially in the bottom six forward group, which is something that we've talked about before. They're really lacking depth scoring. They need to do something there to kind of get that going again, because when their top line of Forsberg, O'Reilly, and Nyquist has been neutralized the way they have as of late, uh, they really don't have anything else going for them. So they're trying to mix that up. So watching the line rushes today at practice looked like Obviously, Forsberg, O'Reilly, Nyquist on the top line. That second line of Trenin, Sissons, and Gurionov was unchanged as well. But bottom six looks like a pretty significant shakeup. One of the the things, speaking of Cody Glass, was he was not only back in the lineup, but moved up the lineup. Previously, he had been in the fourth on the fourth line center. Now he was centering the third line between Luke Evangelista and Tommy Novak, who appears to have been moved to left wing, at least for the time being. So that's certainly new. And then on that fourth line, you have Cole Smith, who you mentioned before, Michael McCarron and Kiefer Sherwood moving down from that Evangelista Novak line down to the fourth line. So 
whether this will work, you know, I, I don't know. I think I do like the idea of moving glass up a little bit. Uh, I think we talked about this last week, Michael did, about how he had started to show a lot of promise last year, but he was playing top minutes with guys like Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne. Now, I'm not trying to say that Tommy Novak and Luke Evangelista are at the same level as Philip Forsberg and Matt Duchesne. However, they are, you know, more offensively skilled players, I think. I think they're a little bit more offensive minded. So to see Glass play with guys like that, I think, you know, I'm hopeful we'll maybe kind of wake something up in him. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll see. Michael, how do you feel about line changes and I, I want to ask both of you about Andrew Burnett's um I don't know message maybe get wh- wh- how it's evolving but what do you make of lineup changes uh, I think we could also maybe have a conversation about some defense pairings as well yeah I think uh the lineup changes are kind of necessary like Emma said outside of the Forsberg O'Reilly Nyquist line no one else is really doing anything and it's almost just kind of felt like Sissons and Trennan are just kind of grouped together. They've they've been on different lines at different times, but it feels like those two are almost always grouped together. And I think Arianov is is a good uh, kind of complement to both of those guys. Trennan's more of a physical bruiser. Sissons is kind of your Swiss Army knife can do it all, and Gurianov has speed and he has a really good shot. So I think the just by the the sheer talent of those three guys putting them together, like you may stumble onto something. Um, I, I really like putting glass with Evangelista and Novak for the, for the fact that like we've, we've talked about Cody glasses issues aren't really, it's not, it's not a matter of, is the kid talented enough to be a top six player? I think he is. It's where is he at? What is his mental state at? I, I know, uh, Paul Scarbino with the Tennessee and did a story, I think last week or a couple of days ago, um, about how Cody glass has been dealing with like some mental health issues and stuff and trying to like keep his emotions in check. And one of the lines from, from that story, the quote from Cody glass that kind of uh, struck me was he said at the start of the season, I thought it was a a sign of weakness uh, talking about his mental health. And he said, and some people see it as bad. He said, emotion is good. I'm an emotional person. And I take, and I care a lot. That's just my personality. I can't really change it. So clearly the fact that Cody glass is opening up and talking to a reporter about his mental health, the fact that he's been in and out of the lineup uh, Andrew Burnett's kind of used him sporadically here and there that the shows that they're trying to tread lightly w- with what to do with this kid. Cause I mean, Burnett was talking to reporters this morning and he said that he sent Yusuf Parson to Milwaukee because it's a confidence issue. Like he doesn't know what to do to get him going, send him to Milwaukee, get some regular playing time and, and build it back up. Cody glass doesn't need to go to Milwaukee to figure it out. Cody glass needs support and he needs help from, from those around him. So I think putting him on a line with Novak and Evangelista is good because he's playing with, probably the most talented players he could outside of the top line. Um, and you're not putting him, you're not putting him in the second line role. You're not, you know, putting the pressure on him to go shut down another team's one, one or two lines uh, there. He's not being counted on to, to solely go out there and produce goals and stuff like that. So moving down on the third line and like Andrew Burnett said, he doesn't really have a, a one, two, three, four line. He just kind of rolls, whatever. Um, I think, I think it's good. And I, I think honestly getting Sherwood back into the lineup, I don't think it's going to be a permanent thing. Just my gut feeling, because I do think Tomasino has played really well. I think this is more of along the lines of Sherwood hasn't played since what he played on the 20th and the 22nd before that he didn't play in almost three weeks. So I think this is kind of a, how do, how does he play after being out of the lineup for so long to see whether they should keep him in there or bring Tomasino back? Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, looking at 
you look at the Cody Glass situation, obviously sending Parson in down versus Glass was, there were a lot of factors that went into that. Obviously, one of them being that Parson in is still waivers exempt and Cody is not. And so that's a big, <laughs> a big issue that, you know, do you want to risk losing Cody to waivers uh, by, you know, by putting him there with the hope? that he ends up back in Milwaukee. I think a lot of people in Nashville still have PTSD from Ellie Tolvanen. So I don't think anyone really wanted to go that route, but you know, and, and I wrote about this for, for the hockey writers in a piece that came out this morning. And like Michael was saying, he doesn't necessarily need to go down and play in the AHL. He's done that. And, and, you know, he's, he's, for for being as young as he is, he's still pretty advanced in his career, I would say. Like he's with the amount of inner injuries he's had and all of the stuff that he's been through, like the kid's been through a lot for being as young as he is. And I think that, you know, he's done the AHL thing. And I spoke to him at length about this last year when he was in the middle of that career season. I talked to him, I talked to his dad, I talked to his brother. And all of them kind of echoed each other and said that season getting sent back down to Milwaukee in the 21-22 season, you know, after his injury, his surgery, then the pandemic hit and that screwed up everything with his his rehab and all of that. And so getting sent back to the AHL while he did end up having a, a really dominant season down there, it just absolutely gutted him. And it was it was really, really difficult for him to to kind of swallow that and be there. Now he took what you know, he he took his lumps and he went and he kind of made he made lemonade out of it and had a really good season with Milwaukee, led the team in scoring. But, you know, it was pretty clear from talking to him, talking to everyone around him, that's not what he needs right now. You know, sending him back down there is gonna be a step backwards for him. Um, I do think, like Michael said, he needs support. He doesn't need tough love. You know, like you said, he doesn't need to be thrown out there constantly against the other team's top lines because that's just going to destroy his confidence even more. But he also doesn't need to keep getting benched or get sent back down or, you know, continue losing opportunities. You know, I like the yeah. idea of him maybe in a third line role, uh, you know, like we saw practice today. I think that. He he needs consistency. He needs opportunities, um, and he needs support. And I think he has it from this organization. You know, and this is one of the things that I wrote about uh, in my piece that came out today. Is that you know you look back at when he was in Vegas. Vegas drafted him. Obviously, it was the first draft pick in franchise history. But and, and Michael talked about this last week on the show. They were in win now mode at this point, and Cody was of no use to them in in that situation because he was young. He came up, he got hurt, he never quite back got back to the same level. So they they kind of gave up on him pretty quickly because they're like, we need to win now, and you can't help us right now. Mm-hmm. Now the Predators are not in win now mode. Like I think we can all just acknowledge that they're not going to be making a serious run at the Stanley cup this year. So they have the time to be patient with him. Um, but at the same time, I think you need to give him what he needs and that's the the consistency and the opportunities. So hopefully we'll start to see more from him here soon. It, it's one, one thing I want to add onto that too, real quick. I, I think 
they're, they're at a point where they need to decide what is the best thing what's what what is the, what's the best course of action to get the most out of Cody Glass right now and if he is dealing with some mental health issues with some dealing with channeling his emotions and all that then i think they need they need to like and i used to argue with people about analytics but looking at the numbers and money puck is a really great tool cody glass has been he's been on four different lineups playing 10 or more minutes this year the best performing line that he's been on has been when he's been the right wing with colton sisson's neokov trenin i think putting him at center I, I think you you give him a try and see how it goes. But I think moving him to the wing, and we saw this with Matt Duchesne a couple of years ago, moving moving Matt Duchesne to the wing was the best thing that happened to him when he was here. I think you can you seriously consider moving Cody Glass from a center and using him out on the wing because then you take the pressure off to be the driver of that line, the driver of the offense. And I, I think that's something that I would like to see them do a Glass maybe a little bit more, um, use him as a winger, maybe on the second line, on the third line, and see how that goes. Well, okay, so this this is interesting to me because my first thought looking at those lines and, and hearing about the lines, and this is kind of for both you guys, which is like, and I know Brunette doesn't say there's a one or a two or a three or a four. There's clearly a one. And if you're going to be a competitor in this league, you're going to need a two. And with all due respect to players I thoroughly enjoy watching play hockey, Yakov Trenin, Colton Sissons, and Denis Garyanov, that is not a second line from a, from a pure talent standpoint. It's just not. Uh, Evangelista, Novak, and Glass has that type of upside, right? I mean, when you look at their pure ability and their pure talent, and to your point, Michael, you could, in theory, switch Novak and Glass if you needed to and put Novak into the middle and keep that group together if there is rapport. But Novak is a goal scorer. Evangelista is a creator, and Glass is a guy that has upside. There's a reason he was drafted where he was. I To me, the goal is to put them together, get them some minutes, get the rapport going, and then elevate them as the season goes along to a second line-ish type of role. Because I, like, again, yes, we're not in win-now mode as a fan base in a city and as a community here. But I, I don't think you can go into next season with Trenton and Sissons and Garyanov as your second line. That's just not going to be... The, you can't ask them to be a secondary scoring line and to play those types of situations, right? I mean, like, like you got to have more offensive skill and again, that sounds like a, a knock. It's not meant to be, because um, I, I Colton Sissons is probably my like one of my favorite personal hockey players on the team. So um, there's more upside with the other group. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, yeah. and I, we talked about this last week too. I think that I I liked seeing Cody on the wing briefly. They tried that earlier this season. Didn't last very long. I was a little surprised at practice to see that Novak had been the one who was moved to the wing rather than than Glass. Again, that certainly none of this is set in stone, so it could certainly still happen. But I do like the idea, like you said, of him being with guys. I mean, Cody Glass could probably have rapport with anyone. I mean, he could have rapport with a brick wall. He's just that kind of happy-go-lucky person. But I think getting him with those you know, younger players, guys that he's played with longer, guys that, you know, maybe he has more in common with both on and off the ice, you know, I think could certainly go a long way to to building his confidence. But I think he also needs to be given more opportunity, you know, not in the lineup one game and then out yeah. the next three, you know, so I, I think that that's going to be a big part of that, too. Yeah, I was just gonna I was just gonna say that like I like Novak Glass and Evangelista together. What I hope we don't see happen is if that line 
whether they have success tonight or not is the next game after tonight that like that line gets dismantled or glasses on the fourth line with someone else like that's probably the one thing that i think that's frustrated me with andrew burnett watching this year is when something is work he doesn't really stick with it for very long it's like he's still trying to move on to the next thing and, and try to find out what could possibly work after that like we saw at the very beginning of the year the top line of forsberg o'reilly and yusuf parson work was working well and then for whatever reason parson got moved away he was on different lines. He was filling out different roles and stuff. And then all of a sudden he wasn't really as effective as he was playing on the top line. I think if you take Forsberg, O'Reilly and Nyquist out of the equation, everyone that's left on the Predators roster out of all the forwards that he could play with Novak and Evangelista are probably the, the two best p- people to put on a, on a, excuse me, on a line with Cody Glass. Um, I, and I think you're right, Braden. Like you can move Novak to center and Glass to the wing. You can keep Glass to center. Like there's different combinations and, and different options you can have with that top line or have with that line. But I think keeping him with Novak and Evangelista, I think, is the right move because they're both offensively talented players. Evangelista is a playmaker. Novak is, is a pretty shown he's a pretty good scorer. Like, I think those two will probably bring the best out of Cody Glass's game out. Well, and I think maybe was it Emma, you said that we're not like they are seven, eight and one in their last 16 games. They have five regulation wins in a month. Their last they have five regulation wins since before Christmas, December 23rd. This is a 500 hockey team right now. They they had their stretch early, and we can we this will be an episode where we don't talk about UC Soros or the defense. And although I still think there's there's reasons to have conversations about moving some pieces around on the defense, in theory. So uh, I think there's a couple of uh, glaring mistakes that have been made by some particular new free agent addition defensemen that maybe we could have a conversation about. Uh, that why Barry Trotz invested so much money into that individual. That being said. This is the t- like you have the time to allow this to form, and if if it's glass, like again, glass doesn't have the waiver exemption, so Parsonen's the guy. Parsonen's been demoted pretty quickly through most of the season. Now, unfortunately, both Glass and Parsonen have been dealt. The reason they're two of the most disappointing pieces is the injury problem, which is not their fault necessarily. So that's been unfortunate because it derailed two guys that finished the season very well last year. But Parsonen gets the 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 call down. Because he's still got the option, Glass gets the time. I think he's probably got a little bit more upside anyway, um, and it, it makes sense to allow this to have some patience. Now, Michael, it's interesting you you talk about Brunette being too fast to move things around. Do you get the same sense on his his answers, his messaging, his responses to reporters? Like he's fam- he he said all along, I don't go into the locker room right after the game. Like I want the the, the players to have that space. It, it sounds like he doesn't have a new answer to what's going wrong, whether it's the home ice issue. Um, they are 13 and 12 this year on home ice. They, you know, John Hines was two seasons of way above 500. There was one bad year, the year that Peter Laviolette got fired. There were 17, 14 and four at home that year. So can't explain the bat, the home ice issue. Uh, you know, the same problems seem to be the same answers to the same questions. Does that make sense? Like is, is, does he need to have different answers now or, do you think his message is stale? Is it too early to even be having this conversation? What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I you mentioned having different answers. I think he needs to just have an answer in general because he has this really good way of answering the question without really answering the question. Now, there are times where he will he'll give you a blunt answer because it's not really a question that requires too much thought. But if you ask him, like, you know, what's wrong with your team? You can, you kind of get the whole well. We're taking penalties. We need to stop taking. We're not performing on special teams. We need more people to score goals. That's all common sense knowledge. Anyone watching the game can tell you that. 
we're, we're 47 games into the season and the Predators have already used over 41 different line combinations. That that's that's bordering on like Peter Laviolette levels of insanity. And we all know how much <laughs> Peter Laviolette like to mess with his lines. And and I think I put Harry Zolnerchuk on the first line against Chicago in game one of the playoffs and it's going to work. Damn it. I was going to say, hey, it worked. <laughs> um, and I think I think we can take what what Brunette said this morning talking about Parson and extrapolate that to the rest of the team. He said that he failed Parson because it's his job to get the best out of the players and he doesn't feel like he's able he he doesn't feel like he's been able to do that and he doesn't really have time to to work specifically with just Parson which is why he's going to Milwaukee. I think that's what we're seeing with with the not having answers for the rest of the stuff. I think Andrew Burnett behind the scenes is taking this a lot personally and a lot harder than we than the members of the media and even the fans get to see. I think it's it's pissing him off that his team's struggling as much as it is and he doesn't really have an answer for it. And as much as we hate asking the questions that we know aren't going to get answered, coaches hate hearing them too because they don't want to have to sit here and be like, okay, how can I not answer this for the 17th different way? So I, I think this is a part of Andrew Burnett's personality that he's 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 shouldering the blame and he's taking responsibility for this because the team is struggling and he he's trying to fix it and he doesn't really know how to. And if he feels that if he feels that way about Yusuf Parson, imagine how he feels about the fact that he only has one line that can go out and, and score goals, basically. So I I, I don't think I don't think he needs to change anything philosophy wise or coaching wise or whatever. I, I, I do think that obviously the penalty kill needs to get better. The power play needs to get better. And I think someone besides Forsberg, O'Reilly and Nyquist needs to figure out how to score a goal. I think that's it. UC Saros, we've talked about for the last two weeks has been struggling. He's figured things out and he's been playing really well. It, it, it almost just seems like everything can't be going right for this team at once. Either the defense, is, the goaltending is really good and the offense and the defense is bad or the offense and defense is good and the, and the goaltending is bad. They just, they can't find the happy medium for all of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought up what Bruno said at the, at practice Wednesday when asked about Parson because if you hadn't brought that up, I was going to, I almost did a double take when he said that, because that was very, uh, the, the part about how he failed Parsonen. That is kind of off brand for for him, at least from what we've seen so far. Normally he for, does for any, not for any coach of a professional sports team. <laughs> yeah. And 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 it's not at all to say that Brunette is usually uh quick to, you know, place all the blame on his players or anything like that. But I think that it's rare that he would kind of go out of his way to be like, yeah, this was, this one's on me or this, you know, it's not just like, oh, he's a young guy and he needs time to develop. And, you know, that stuff happens, you know, like that would have all been a fair answer, I think in this case. But I think the fact that he went out of his way to say, yeah, I have failed him a little bit. And, and I, I appreciated that sort of that raw kind of answer from him because I would have to agree he has failed him and and not to say that he's gone out of his way to, you know, screw you so Parson and out of a like out of a lineup spot. But I think that, you know, we saw those flashes of greatness from Parson in last year. I mean, he came up, you know, made his NHL debut was looked like a man among boys when he was playing. Honestly, he, he was noticeable. Did, did not look like a rookie at all. Did not look like a rookie or a seventh round pick. So, you know, I think I think we saw a lot of potential from him last year. Then obviously he got injured in the last half of the season last year. He was injured during training camp. All things, you know, kind of out of your control at that point. But, you know, like like Michael said, we saw him 
at the beginning of the season when he came back from that injury that you know, had him sitting out of training camp for a bit. He was on that first line with Forsberg and O'Reilly and he was getting significant minutes and, you know, he was, he was on the power play and for whatever reason, you know, around mid to late October, he kind of slid off of that and then Nyquist came up and now I'm not arguing that, you know, Nyquist shouldn't be part of that line too, because obviously it's a, it's a great combination, but I think, Ever since he slid down from that top line, you know, at the beginning of the season, it was pretty clear, okay, we think that this kid has top line talent, top line ability. This is going to be the role that we expect of him, um, you know, and and that was clear. And then after he slid off of that top line, there was really no clearly defined role for him. Even if the clearly defined role was, okay, you're going to be a fourth line bruiser now, like that would be fine, but it's just you know, there's just been zero definition for what his game is, what his role is supposed to be. You know, he last year was playing significant minutes, both five on five and on the power play. This year he was sporadically would appear on the power play and usually not at, you know, with any significant kind of contributions there. And, and he's just been slid up and down the lineup a lot. And that's a lot, I think, for anyone, but especially for a guy who has not played a full season in the NHL yet. And I think that, you know, those expectations were so high for him at the beginning of the season. So I would have to agree. And I, I respect Brunette for saying that, you know, because I think he did fail him a little bit. And it's not saying he failed him, you know, we're past the point of no return. I just think that this... This move, sending him down to Milwaukee, having him, you know, on a on a team that's won what eight in a row now. I mean, they're on a tear. He's gonna, you know, be able to hang with the best of them, and he's gonna get significant minutes. He'll, I'm sure, he'll be on the power play there. Yep. He'll get his confidence back up, and you know, that will hopefully get him to the level that you know everyone was kind of hoping to see from him at the beginning of the season. I, I think really, that, that his admission really stuck out to me too when when I was watching the video back and I heard him say that because was it two years ago when Cody Glass got sent down and John Hines was asked about it the answer we were given was well the NHL isn't the league where you develop you do that in Milwaukee and that was kind of end of story now we're seeing Brunette kind of admit like yeah you know what like I failed this kid I, I hate this this is the best way to, to fix him and stuff and I think ultimately not to crap on John Hines, but I think ultimately seeing that kind of human side of brunette is going to ultimately make the players want to play for him that much more and want to, and want to get better and do all the things that maybe, maybe this is one of the moments that helps the lead a turnaround where they win, go on and win a couple games in a row or whatever, because they, they see their coach out there admitting like, Hey, you know what? I'm human. I haven't done my job with this, but we're going to get this fixed. Whereas when it happened two years ago, it was kind of like, well, we're just going to send the kid to Milwaukee and he's going to have to figure it out on his own. I am so much more cynical than both of you. Um, I, I I don't disagree with anything that either of you guys are saying, but I think it's like a co- it's cover for you. So Parsonen, um, from a PR standpoint, none of the heat's on him now uh, for the bad performance, the injury. Brunette can say, look, it's my fault. I did it. And it's it's really good PR cover. And it might be true. I, I don't necessarily disagree. And to your point, Michael, it could galvanize the locker room. There's no question about that. When I think coach, there is still heat on him, though, because if he was playing up to par, he wouldn't be sent down to Milwaukee in the first place. Like he no. he, he, he doesn't just have a free ticket to go to Milwaukee and just skate by and get called back up in, in two no. weeks. But like he has to go down there and actually show he's improving. I mean, from like fans and from folks like us who are like, oh, look, Yusuf Parson, is not playing the power forward, aggressive, noticeable role that he was, Emma, that you were talking about when he came up last year. 
Like he, well, because he, was... he hasn't been given the opportunity to play that role. And that's that's where I think, you know, Brunette saying I failed him. It's kind of like, yeah, you did, because you need to give yeah. him a clearly defined role. Like I I I normally am a very cynical person, Brayden, but in this <laughs> in in most aspects of life. But in this particular case, I, I really do think that, you know, there is some truth to that. And going back to the galvanizing the locker room point. I will say I talked to Luke Evangelista at practice on Wednesday, kind of asked him, you know, what his reaction was to to Parson and getting sent down. And, you know, you kind of expect not necessarily a scripted answer, but you kind of have an idea of what a guy's going to say. Like, yeah, it's really disappointing. Wish him the best, whatever. The first thing that Evangelista said was, yeah, honestly, I was shocked. I was shocked when I heard, you know, he is an incredible player. He has so much talent, you know, and, and Evangelista said, I have every, every belief that he'll be back, you know, maybe even this season. Um, and, you know, so I think the fact that players were surprised to hear that, you know, I'm sure Evangelista wasn't the only one. Right. So I think like maybe it does send a wake up call. Maybe it galvanizes the room. You know, it could have sort of a ripple effect on the rest of the roster, I think. Yeah, no, I, I is also waiver exempt too, so I'm sure he's probably sitting there being like, "Oh, this, <laughs> yeah. this could be me in a week if I don't get my act together." So yeah, the the, the follically challenged Philip Tomasino. Um, <laughs> I, I I can say that as a middle aged guy who actually is no. What's interesting, I do think it's galvanizing. I do think it's the right message. I do think it's a positive spin. Um, it ultimately is still about the player having to execute and be better. He also, for, for the record, he's also never had like a full season in the AHL. Like he's not ever really been a minor league player. And so he came up so fast that he got he found success so fast that there's always some some steps back, two steps forward, one steps back, one step steps back. Um, so there, I look, I, I think fans were right to be excited about Parsonen. I still think fans can be excited about Parsonen. It might take a little bit more time, um, and I think that's okay. I, I don't think that I don't think there's anything anything wrong with that. So we'll we'll see what happens with with Yusuf Parsonen. Um, I think ultimately, Mike, you kind of touched on this earlier. I think consistency is ultimately what this team at this stage of a of a quote unquote rebuild is looking for. It's a first year, really. It's a first year head coach learning how to be a head coach in the NHL. I know he did his whole thing with Florida, but this is really his first full time job as a head coach. UC Saros has been inconsistent. The defense has been injured and inconsistent. You've got a ton of young players that have been injured and inconsistent. The power play is inconsistent. The penalty kills inconsistent. Like. The home and road splits are inconsistent. This is like, I, I don't think there's an answer to the home and road thing. Like, I don't think there's a like, oh, I sleep better in my bed. So I, I lose more game. Like, I, I don't think there's a, a connection between we have to play harder for our home fans. This is a 500 hockey team. In my opinion, they are 13 and 12 at home. Yes. There's been some of their worst performances at home. But I think they just kind of, I think it's just inconsistent. And I think, I don't think there's some like mythical solution that's like floating around out there. I just think they're a, a young, inconsistent team with a first year head coach trying to figure out who they are. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> no notes. <laughs> I mean, I, I will add this like, they may be a 500 hockey team right now, but you know what? They're still in fourth place in the central and they're still go. looking pretty good for a playoff spot. So I guess it could be worse, all things considered. And they still I dominate think- the Chicago Blackhawks. I think a lot of people were expecting worse at this point. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, we're going to get to our two favorite players on the show. 
uh, in just a second. And we'll get to some trade strategy talk from Barry Trotz as the deadline does approach. We've got the All-Star break coming up as well. Um, so we'll get to all of that. However, the gold standard is brought to you by Michael Gallagher. Your turn. That would be Jasper's. That is right. And we would be terrible co-hosts on this show if we did not wish happy birthday to Emma Lingen, who is, I don't, I, I, it's it's rude to tell anyone's age, but I've been, you can tell everybody what your birthday was, so. Yeah, I've I've been saying. Uh, first of all, thank you uh, for the birthday wishes. I've been saying it's a it's a milestone. It ends in zero. Um, I I've been telling people that I turned twenty ten on Friday. So okay, uh, that works. Yeah, yeah. So I know you can probably see behind me. I've got kind of a birthday graveyard going on. I've got balloons and half eaten cookies and. Multiple wine bottles bodies. and <laughs> yeah a lot a lot of fun was had over the weekend so uh yeah it was it was a good time uh i have a theory on turning that age uh 2010 uh we'll call it i i like i was so i don't know about you michael i, I was so ready for it like the last two or three years of my 20s i was like i just want to go to a different party <laughs> like, like i, I just I couldn't do I couldn't keep up with all the 23, 24, 25 year old people in my life anymore. I was like, I just want to go go to a new party. And here's my my piece of my random piece of wisdom for folks in, in your situation, Emma. It's a situation. Uh, there's only two age brackets in the in, in the world. There's only two. Zero to twenty-nine and thirty to death. That's it. Those are the only two brackets. Because once you turn 30, you can go to the same party for like the next 70 years. And for like the first 20 years of that, you're the youngest person at the party. I'm just saying. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you say that because, <laughs> you know, talking about wanting to join the party, I feel the same way. Honestly, I've always been, I guess, a little bit of an old soul in certain ways. And, and I think, you know, my, one of my best friends is she's a year older than me. So she's 31. So on my birthday, she texted me and I'm just going to say this. I apologize in advance because I know my mom listens to the show. She's not going to like that. I said this, hey, mom. but, <laughs> but, uh, my friend texted me and said, welcome to the years of not giving a fuck. Yes. And I, oh, sorry, mom. <laughs> so I responded. I said, well, I may have started that. I may have boarded that train a little bit early because I stopped giving any yeah. of them like yeah. a few years ago, I think. So now I can, you know, my age matches kind of my mindset, I think, with all of that. And even, you know, we went out on my birthday, had a lovely time, went to dinner. My friends threw me a party. The theme was funeral, not because I'm old, but because we were laying rest to my 20s. And it was a great time. And, you know, even at the end of it, it was like 11 p.m. And my friends were great. Nice. And they deferred to me and they said, you know, hey, it's your night. You want to keep going like we're we're here for you. And I was like, well, kind of just like to go to bed now. And I came home and, you know, went to bed <laughs> at a reasonable hour, woke up, not hung over. And, you know, it was a there great way to start 30. Uh, What's funny is all the stuff that you did when you're 29 somehow becomes excusable once you turn 30. If you don't want to go yeah. out and you want to go go to bed early, okay, it's fine. You're 30. If you swear at somebody, it's fine. You're 30. But once you, when you're a 29 year old, like you you take crap for it from your friends. Well, and and you have different questions for your friends when they ask you about a plan. Like uh, you get to your 30s and and you're like, and I is it is it Bargazzi that does this bit where he's like. Where he goes in your twenties, you're like, I'll get off this couch, I'll burn a house down to get to the party. What how what party are we going to? I'll go to the party. 
And then he's like, in your 30s, you're like, I think I'm going to drive separate. <laughs> I then... I have mastered the art of the Irish goodbye as in my nice. late 20s into 30. Like that has become a huge, you know, a huge <laughs> win for me is because I'm always like, I'll drive separate. I will like make sure I maintain any excuse to extricate myself from this situation whenever nice. I feel like it because I go I'm it's like I'm getting older but I'm almost kind of like a toddler in a way like when I get tired I get really cranky and then no one wants to be around me so I'm like yeah I'm just going to just going to leave Something else you master when you get in your 30s too is when people ask you to do stuff is to have your excuse ready beforehand so if, like I know if people ask me to do something I don't want to do I'll be like, sure. Well, you know, I've been under the weather for the last couple of days. I'll stop by for a little bit. So that way, if I leave 15 minutes into it, no one really gives me any, any trouble for it because I let them know like, hey, I don't feel good. Oh, my God. Just go. Go. I think it's Nate Bargatze. Just go check out like his whole social planning from 20s to 30s to 40s because I'm 41. My 30s were awesome. They were great. Minus that whole worldwide pandemic. But both my daughters were born in my 30s. I got married in my 30s. Um, uh, the th my thirties were like the, like the best. They were awesome. Um, now my body's breaking down and it's not as fun. So just enjoy, enjoy the thirties while you can. I will say, uh, to your point about running out of shits to give, um, and I, I, I imagine the end of the evening, just like putting on comfortable clothing because my five-year-old calls clothing, uh, should be like, dad, why are you still wearing your hard clothes? <laughs> and it's like anything with a belt on it or like a like a collar is like hard clothes and she's like yeah where's your soft put on your soft clothes dad <laughs> and any, i'm like anything with hardware buttons zippers like yes, any kind out. of hardware i'm yeah i've stopped you know i've tried to work my way around that as much as i can any kind of athleisure wear is kind of my go-to yep. yeah the five-year-old but by the way my five-year-old understands the human emotion better than i ever have at 41 and she's like yeah we need to put on all our soft clothes dad it's no more it's not time for hard clothes anymore so she just came up with that i don't know how she i don't know how her little brain works but it's it's spectacular so with that in mind this is how i'm going to bring it back to jaspers um go to jaspers of course and and we're going to celebrate uh, a couple of players here for the Preds in just a second but uh celebrating your birthday you've got a, a perfect meal at jaspers you can pick everything you want you can put together the meal I want to know appetizer. I want to know beverage. This is not like for watching a game. This is sitting down with your friends, having a nice meal. I want to know what you're putting together, Emma. Ooh, well, uh, you know, I'll probably make myself sick just thinking about all of this, but I'm looking at the menu. Honestly, well, first of all, with drinks, we know, well, if we don't know, now we know. I'm a beer girl, so I'm usually going to go beer. Um, especially if I'm at a place like Jasper's kind of a neighborhood place like that, that would be my go-to. Um, I need to try this giant mozzarella stick. We've brought it up a few times. Uh, definitely need whatever the meal is. It needs to start with that. Uh, from there, I'm looking at all the sandwiches, you know, burgers, whatever, really anything that comes with sweet potato waffle fries is that's calling my name right away. I can tell you that. Um, I grew up in DC and like sweet potatoes were never on the menu anywhere. And I didn't like know what they were until I went to college in North Carolina, which was like sweet potato Mecca. And I became obsessed with sweet potatoes when I was they, in college. Are they anti-sweet potato? Is big sweet potato not well represented <laughs> in DC? Like, well, I guess, yeah, I guess we, we need a, you know, a stronger sweet potato lobby on Capitol <laughs> Hill or something because uh, it was just not a thing. And then 
in college in North Carolina, like the dining hall, like I ate a sweet potato a day probably for four straight years when I was in college. It's good. It's good for so you. All, of, all of which is to say uh, you take sweet potatoes and you fry them and serve them in waffle form and that you've got me, you've got me sold. And then any, honestly, dessert wise, any excuse to have cake, obviously. Although again, oh. now that we're in the years of not caring what anyone else thinks, I don't need an excuse to have cake, but it just so happens to be my birthday. So yeah. I'm going to go with that. Yeah. Well, happy, happy birthday. Go to Jasper's. Is cheesecake cake or is it a pie? Well, it's a cake. I mean, it's a it's a subcategory of cake, but I, I'm eh, I'm not a big pie fan. This is how I justify it. I don't really like pie, but I like cheesecake. So therefore, I say cheesecake is a cake. Yeah, I agree. If you call it cheese pie, I don't think anyone would really want to eat it. So chess also pie. a good point. Chess pie is pretty good, which is strange that that's the name of a thing. Uh, no, I cheese. So cheesecake, at, the reason I say that is cheesecake at Jasper's spectacular. You can get it to go. They got all different kind of fruit flavors in there. It's fantastic. It's delicious. I love cheesecake, but I would not call it cake. I would call it a pie. It's I will say the, the last time I was in there, someone got the chocolate layer cake and it looked amazing. I would recommend that even though I haven't ever had it just on looks alone <laughs> because it looked, it looked just delicious. Is that how you talk about Igor Afanasyev as well? No, that make that you're making me sound a little, a little weird there. <laughs> no, it's not weird. It's not weird. I can't look Roman Yossi directly in the face. It's impossible. You I would can't. never say another man looks delicious. I'm sorry. <laughs> fair, fair enough. I would probably not say that to Roman directly, but I can't look at him directly because you just can't. It's impossible. No human being has ever been able to physically look at Roman Yossi directly in the face because he stares right back at you like so intently. And it's just, it's hard to do. It's like, I can, I'm, I'm totally comfortable as a 41 year old male saying, I can't look at Roman Yossi directly in the face in person. It's hard. It's hard to do. He's a beautiful man. (laughs) A lot easier when he has a ball cap on after a game and he's not, you know, the the locks aren't flowing and he's not looking like he's ready to go out on the town. Apparently it's way easier when he swings a baseball bat, not wearing a baseball hat. Apparently. Um, he's, he's human after all, uh, Emma, Emma Lingen reporting. Um, so Michael, I was joking, but not really about Igor Afanasyev, let's assume that he is the name that's getting called up from Yusuf Parson. Go to Jasper's, by the way. Uh, that that the corresponding move Thursday morning, by the time you're listening to this, somebody's going to get called up. Let's assume that it's Igor Afanasyev. What would you like to see from him, if it is him, um, getting his first crack at earning a spot? Because you mentioned Evangelista getting called up. He just got called up ahead of schedule last year, the same way Parson did, and just never went back. He's just still here. And still a part of the team. Um, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but you are captain of the Igor fan club. So let's hear it. What do you want to see? That is true. And uh, I know I texted you guys last night um, that Igor, like the the message that Emma put out there about how we were going to talk about him in glowing fashion today. So he does. If you mention him on, on Twitter, there is a good chance he will like it. And he liked a couple other tweets last week, too. So they, they all I name will, search. But Igor, you got to come all the way to the end of the pod to get here, buddy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he he definitely he definitely listens and he definitely reads the stories that we write about him, which is which is kind of cool. But yeah, if he he should be the call up. The only other person I think would would even be in consideration would be Joachim Kemmel. Um, I think based off of the way they played LaRue and Svechkov. You could argue there's a case for it, but they're both very young. So getting them a couple games, I don't really think does anything for him. Whereas Kemmel, I think, could be ready by the end of the year, um, definitely in the in the mix next year. And I think Afanasyev could 
have a full-time roster spot on this team right now if if they if he wanted to. So um, what I would like to see is maybe the lineup look a little different. I don't, if you call him up, I, I don't think putting him, you know, I mean, if you take Sherwood out, you're putting him on the fourth line with Smith and McCarron. And I just, I just don't think you're really kind of taking advantage of everything that he brings being the six foot four power forward uh, who leads the Milwaukee Admirals in goal scoring. He's seventh in the AHL in goal scoring. He's top 20 in scoring in, in the AHL among all forwards. So yeah, I, I really don't. And especially when you need depth scoring as bad as they do, I would maybe like to see the, the Trenton Sissons line be the, the third or the fourth line. Um, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to see the Novak glass Evangelista line get broken up. But I mean, maybe maybe you move Evangelista or Novak, one of the two, and you put off Anasiev on that line. I, w- I would like to see him play minutes that actually matter, if that makes sense. I just took the long way around to saying that. I want to see him like you're calling him up because you need goal scoring. Put him in a chance to put him in chances and positions to go out there and score goals, basically. So I would like to. I wouldn't like to see him get buried in the third or fourth line where he's playing ten minutes and maybe gets one or two shots. So yeah, I think it's relevant considering we just wrapped up talking about Yusuf Parsonen and how he was never given really an opportunity this year to play meaningful minutes and to be the power forward that he is kind of expected to be. You know, the the whole emphasis has been on developing Igor into a power forward, then let him be a power forward. So I think I, I would totally agree what I want to see or really more what I would not want to see is for him to kind of get banished to the bottom six in this vaguely defined role that may not even be a role which is what was happening to you so because I think that again would be failing a player like Igor so I would like to see him play meaningful minutes what that looks like exactly could look you know could look a few different ways but I I would agree I mean you don't you don't I mean his game is not all that different from Yakov Trenin's, right? Or so, like, I don't know who who's the who's the guy that you would ch- you would take out of that top group or even the middle six to put him in there. I mean, if I'm being realistic about it, just because the next game that Denis Gurionov plays, he ha- that'll be like he has what he has. I think he's played eight games. He has two more games before they have to decide whether they send him back to Milwaukee or keep him up here. I don't really think he's shown enough to warrant sticking around for the rest of the year just because like, I mean, he's been okay, but he hasn't really like set the world on fire. I would be okay with sending Gurianov back to Milwaukee and keeping Afanasiev up here in that role, especially if, if you're going to, if you put him on the second line, cause that's where Gurianov has been for most of the time he's been up here. I think that's, that's a good spot for, for Igor to be, especially if you're going to put him, I know Tomasino's not in the lineup uh, tonight, but if you put Tomasino in the lineup and then you have Afanasiev on the other wing, you can move Glass up there and you can put Novak back as a center. You can move Novak up there, keep Glass as the third center. It opens up more options. I think that just makes more sense. Um, but looking at the lineup, just based off of line rushes from practice this morning, I think the guy that would probably come out would be Sherwood just because he hasn't really played that much recently. I, I'm, I was going to say, who's the odd person out here? Like, you, There's too many bodies at this point. There's already an extra forward, and if you call up another one, I guess maybe the question is who is part of the, if this makes sense, the short term, long term plan, right? Like who, who, like is Igor a player? Is if is Afanasiev a player that could play like Evangelista the rest of the season in that role? Is there space for Parson to come back up? It, I mean, Cole Smith. We're going to get to your guy, Emma, in just a second. But like, like if Garyanov is a part of your long term plan this year. Then you're not going to like. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, there's 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 yeah. too many there's too many pieces here. 
If, if Garyanov is in your long-term plan, then I think the, the odd man out is Sherwood just because he's been scratched a lot lately. Uh, he hasn't really, he had a really good like first month, month in, in a week or so, but after that he kind of tapered off. And I, I, I if you, the way I look at it is if you keep Garyanov in the lineup and then you eventually put him, expose him to waivers, there's a chance you could lose him. No one's going to claim Keeper Sherwood because they did it last year. They put him on waivers and he went, what, two or three times and no one claimed him. I just don't think you have to worry about that. So you could you could put Sherwood on waivers, send him back to Milwaukee, and not not risk losing a player. Whereas I think that's a very real possibility with Gurianov. If I I, yeah. I do think Afanasiyev is the kind of guy that you call up and he could stick in the lineup for the rest of the year. He's been playing really well. He's done everything the coaches have asked him to. He's he's the one player I look at over the last year or two that you could see the tangible development and growth with with him more than any other player in Milwaukee. Um, so I think if you and it also depends on what what trots what his mindset is with this call-up. If you if you do call up Afanasiev, is it like he said on, on the radio a couple of weeks ago where it's just for a couple of games to try to maybe spark the lineup, send him back down? Or is this like, okay, kid, show us what you got? Like Parson last year, I don't think they intended to call him up and keep him with the roster for the the entire rest of the season, yeah. but he, he kind of earned it. I think Afanasiev is in a similar situation. Yeah, I think the key is to not have specific expectations about Afanasyev, assuming, you know, if he does get called up, you don't want to assume like, all right, this is his time and he's going to carry this team to the playoffs. You know, you can't expect that. It needs to be, like you said, with with Parson in last year, no one was thinking that. They were thinking, okay, he'll come up, we'll see him for a couple games and then he'll go back down. And that was, you know, it was good to have those tempered expectations he ended up exceeding those expectations at least last year. So I think, you know, and, and it's not like we've never seen Igor at the NHL level. We saw him last year, you know, he struggled to, to produce on offense and there were, we could, you know, do a whole other show on why that was the case. And I think there are a lot of things that have changed since then, but, you know, I just, I think the key is temper your expectations. I think, we can't expect him to come hop right in the lineup and score a hat trick. I just, I think that a lot of, you know, maybe what you were talking about, that short-term, long-term plan, what that plan looks like is probably going to depend a lot on how he looks when he does eventually get into the lineup. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, He played 17 games last year and he was averaging like 10 and a half minutes a game. I don't think that's conducive to setting the kid up for success. I think if you're going to call him up, you put him in on the second line, maybe on the third line, and you kind of you kind of keep him in that that middle six role, and you give him chances to go out and score goals. Like it's unrealistic to expect him to be a point per game player in the NHL like he is in the AHL right now. He's also playing on the top line, and he he's thriving in in a top six role there. So I think if you want similar success, maybe not a point per game pace, but if you want similar success from him, you got to put him in in a similar situation when when he's on the NHL roster. I I also think uh, and this I mean. We'll get to Cole Smith again. I not not as a joke, but like seriously, like Sherwood. <laughs> we they all root for sure. Like Sherwood's a guy people root for because of his story, right? And how hard he's worked to get to where he is, and to have him go back down certainly would be disappointing. It's why I think all the players and Emma will ask you about this in a second. How why they celebrated Cole Smith's contract, but I think like there's 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 not a lot of pedigree with Cole Smith and Kiefer Sherwood. There's pedigree with Afanasiev. There there's talent. This is what we were talking about earlier with that. Trenton Sisson's Giryanov line versus Evangelista Glass and and Novak, the upside for Igor is just far higher. It's just that's just what it is. Like that's why he was drafted so much higher. That's why he was the prospect that he was. So I think 
you know, give these, there's an, there is a luxury of patience here for this team. Like Andrew Burnett should not be getting hot seat fired anytime soon. These players have all the time to work this out. Like this should be something that, that fans should be patient with and, and be excited when they have, when they see signs of progress and development. So, uh, we all assume that, let me ask you one other quick question. Uh, any chance they call up one of the defensemen, any chance they make any moves there? Or do we need to do we need to wait till we get to the trade deadline conversation before we have that talk? Yeah, I think that's more of a trade deadline conversation. Right. I, I I could see them calling up Stastny only if there's an injury or if just Carrier, Fabra, whoever just stinks up the joint and like they're, it's just not working. But I don't think that's something you have to worry about. Luke Shen's contract is too big, Barry. Um, okay, um, Cole Smith. What was the what was the, try to explain the fan the the players' reaction to Cole Smith? Two years. $2 million contract, $1 million per year, AAV. Um, not a lot of money for the NHL, a lot of money for every other human on the planet. Um, what was the reaction from the, the the team on Wednesday, Emma? Well, it was great. You know, it was announced right before practice that he had signed the the two-year extension and practice, they went through practice. It was a long, hard practice. And then practice ended. All the guys kind of made a circle at center ice and had – Smith skate a lap around them while they were tapping their sticks on the ice for him the whole time. And then they all just erupted into cheers and it was just the coolest thing. You know, you can see they're so happy for him. And I will admit, I have always been a Cole Smith fan. I, and I have, you know, because of this last year, especially I had things said to me on social media, unspeakable things, things I will not repeat because again, my mother listens to the show. <laughs> things that were said to me just merely because I was rooting for Cole Smith. I was rooting for him to do well. I think he has a very relatable story, you know, and it's a likable story. He's undrafted. He played four years in college. He had to work his way. You know, he like those guys, those guys who are undrafted. It's not to say the guys who are drafted don't work hard. But sure. it's different when you're not drafted. You know, you have a lot more people questioning, you know, do you even deserve to be here? And so it kind of lights this extra fire under you and it, it matters what you do with it. And Cole Smith caught so much hate, just absolute hate from the fan base last year because it took him so long to score a goal. And it's like, I think okay. Michael Gallagher is scrubbing his Twitter account right now. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will say Michael Gallagher was not one of the people who said unspeakable things to me on Twitter. So we're good there. But I think that it's, you know, there's so much more than goal scoring. You know, I think what was upsetting people last year, and this could be, you know, that could be a whole other conversation about, you know, what was upsetting them was when he was getting time in the lineup while guys like Philip Tomasino were down in the AHL all all worth debating and have been debated. However, I just I love what this guy brings. You know, he's so tenacious. He's such a hard worker. He, you know, even if he isn't a volume goal scorer, that's not his game. That's not what it was supposed to be. And you know, he's he's physical. He'll go to bat for his teammates. You know, he will do anything that's asked of him. Um, you know, even earlier in the year, talking to Andrew Burnett, he frequently would bring up Cole Smith as one of the most pleasant surprises for him on this team because you hear even I think it's almost funny too. He has like such a generic sounding name. Like it's like Cole Smith, who is that? But like he has done so much, even if it doesn't necessarily show up on the score sheet. I mean, he's 
second on the team in hits behind Jeremy Lazan, which no one is catching him. But I mean, he just he does so much and he he creates space. He just he just has so much of that like intangible stuff that I think, you know, makes him such a valuable player. And he, you know, getting him for two years, two million, I mean, that's great. You talk about having valuable depth pieces, you know, at a at a bargain price. I think that you know, I, I'm really happy for him. I think, you know, like I said last year, if it had been announced that he had been signed to a two-year, $2 million deal, uh, like, I think my phone probably would have just burst into flames from all of the hate of from people just being so angry about it. And today I tweeted the thing about how practice ended and he did a lap around the ice and everyone cheered for him. And there was not a single negative comment. It was just like, oh, that's nice. And it was like, wow, how far we've come in a year. You know, I think that maybe he's not a fan favorite, but at least, you know, at least some of the heat has been taken off of him because, you know, he's proven that he can be a valuable member of this lineup. And, you know, he was going to be a UFA this offseason. So I'm glad for him. I'm glad for the team. I think it's a good move. I think it also helps that there's not an Ellie Tolvanen sitting on the bench and people are directing their their misguided anger at Cole Smith because of it. Um, I, I will admit I was I was among those that questioned why he was still on the line still on the roster at points last year. However, I did not say anything mean to anyone. And I, I <laughs> whenever we talk about him on this podcast, I always made a point to say, look, Cole Smith is a really nice guy. And any criticism I have of him is as a hockey player only, not as who he has is is as a person. And I can sit here a year later and admit that, hey, you know what? I don't, I don't know if I was wrong in my criticisms, but maybe I was a little bit unfair because obviously he's doing something right. He got a two-year contract. He's he's set a new career high in goals, which wasn't a super high bar to hit, but he did it. He's one point away from his career high in points. And every team needs a Cal, Cal Clutterbuck or someone like that. Sorry, I, I, every time I try to say his name, I mess it up. Or like a Pat Maroon. Like there, there's there's guys in the bottom six that you know aren't going to go out and, and light it up and give you 20 goals a season. But you need them because they're physical, because they piss the other team off. They get under their skin. They Like I guarantee you all the people in the Central Division when they play the Predators, like they probably don't worry about Cole Smith going out and scoring a hat trick. But they probably don't like going up and skating against him because he's, he's a big dude. He's a, he's a big body. He's hard to get off the puck. Like. He makes he makes makes it difficult for the other team to play against, which is exactly what the whole Predators MO is. So especially next to McCarron. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and when and when Cole Smith, Michael McCarron and Philip Tomasino, all three of them are playing together like that line gives you everything you could possibly need. You have a big six foot seven center who can drop the gloves and fight. You have Cole Smith who can go out there and hit anybody that gets in his way. And you have Philip Tomasino that can take it up the ice and score like he he's someone who I think is really kind of thrived under Andrew Burnett's new system. And it's not because like he's this world renowned goal scorer or anything, but because he doesn't have to go out and, and like the, the spotlight isn't on him for his lack of goal scoring. Like the, the system that they're playing in now is conducive to let him go do what he does best. And that's go out. I think he leads all predators forwards and hits like go out, be physical. And you know what? The goals will find you just like the two goal game he had a couple weeks ago or whatever long it was like those two goals. He wasn't, it wasn't necessarily because he just like created a breakaway because he's an amazing skater, but like, the goals found him. And I think this is exactly what, what needed to happen. And and you know what? He's earned it. So good for him. Well, maybe he can go have a celebratory dinner at Jasper's uh, as, all NH, as all NHL millionaires do. They go to Jasper's. That's for sure. Um, all right. So that was, that was our waxing poetically about uh, Afanasiev and Cole Smith. 
Uh, congrats on the contract. No question about it. There's still some other questions coming. Uh, what do we know about Barry Trotz's strategy going into the trade deadline? We're still a little bit away from it. We still have plenty of time to discuss this, and we're going to. Uh, we know Tyson Barry situation is what it is, but have we learned anything new about the strategy? Because he's basically been very open about talking to GMs, listening to offers, and I'm assuming that outside of a few names, almost everything is on the table at this point. I think we have learned something just based off of what he said on the radio the other night. Um, he basically said, depending on whether they're in contention or not, like he's going to do something. He said, I can I can either add some pieces or I can get rid of some guys and call up some of our other guys too. So I do think we will see them make a move at some point. It just kind of depends on whether they're still in a playoff spot or not. Yeah, and he said exactly that when he was on Sportsnet on Tuesday. He he talked about that, that, you know, obviously the Tyson Berry situation kind of makes it, un, you know, it's without question, he's going to do something at the trade deadline. Now, the quantity of moves or the magnitude of those moves is going to depend entirely on where this team is in the playoff race. You know, if the trade deadline was tomorrow, I don't know that he would, you know, do a ton to to really mess with what they have because they are still in a playoff position. He's not going to go all in and sell off everything they have, but you know, they're also not totally far out of it. But the the thing is, the deadline isn't until March 8th. There's a lot of time, you know, like you said, it's a 500 team right now. Are they going to go on a tear and, you know, surge back into that first wild card spot or are they just going to completely fall off the face of the earth and not even, you know, be a contender, in which case the strategy at the deadline is going to change drastically. And I think, you know, Trotz even said it himself, no one was expecting the Predators to even be sniffing the playoffs this year. And the fact that they are, you know, that he's left himself a lot of flexibility with how he approaches the trade deadline, like whether he's going to be a buyer or seller more realistically, probably a little bit of both, but I don't, you know, I don't think we're going to see any massive, you know, blockbuster deals really probably at all, but especially not until closer to the deadline. And, you know, because he, and and one thing that he said on Sportsnet was that this is going to be the player's decision. The players that we have right now are going to dictate what I do at the trade deadline, because if they, you know, they've gotten us this far and if they want to, you know, and they've done a good job in that, but if they want to keep, you know, fighting for a playoff spot and being in that conversation, then that will determine how aggressive or active I am at the trade deadline. And I think, you know, and he brought up kind of, kind of like what you said, no one is really off the table. I don't think unless your name is Forsberg or Yossi, I don't think anyone is really off the table, but you know, it would be irresponsible not to listen to offers, but he did bring up, he talked about, you know, Yes, we have a number of he brought up the fact that the Predators currently have seven forwards who are making less than a million dollars a year. And those are extremely affordable trade chips, you know, as part of a package, you know, for for teams who are looking for depth pieces. You know, that's certainly a way to go. But he also mentioned that they have some some veterans that have, you know, some value. Now, granted, he could have been talking only about Tyson Berry. We don't know. But <laughs> You know, I, I think he he made it clear that, you know, no one is really off the table. Now, that doesn't mean that he's looking actively to get rid of people. I mean, he 
frankly, he said the opposite. He's like, I'm not trying to get rid of anybody, like, especially if they're going to keep this team in contention, you know, we're not going to try to mess with what we have right now. But I think, you know, like he said, the players we have right now are going to determine my moves, you know, in the next, in the coming month or so. I, I already hate the the vibe of this entire conversation. Um, <laughs> not because of anything you guys said, or maybe it's more about what Barry Trotz has been saying. Evangelista, by the way, would be off the table for me. I just, he, he is my Cole Smith. Um, he, he is a building block piece for the future, no matter what happens at the, with this team, the rest of the season. So you got to have those guys, like you have to have those pieces. So like, I still cannot bring myself in any way, shape or form to convince myself that trading for anything is a smart decision. Like, like, I feel like if, if you want to make a playoff run and rely on a goaltender who can be Vesna caliber, good at times some veteran pieces and some young pieces that maybe develop over the course of the next 40 games. Sure. Go for it. Love it. I love the idea of it. House money ahead of schedule, etc. But if you do anything, if you do anything that could impact the, the pace and the trajectory of the rebuild, I think that is a mistake. And that would be acquiring pieces unless said piece is like a like a, a piece that you're gonna have like a seven year forward that's twenty six years old that could score thirty five goals. So Michael, this is where you pick it up. <laughs> what what's interesting about that is uh, Clay and I, uh, Clay Brewer, my other writer at Nashville Hockey Now, been talking about this a little bit, and he had a story up on the website this morning actually, and he proposed Andre Kuzmenko, who is really I don't know what's going on with him. He's kind of fallen out of favor in Vancouver. He's been healthy scratched a lot, and the GM was just. You know, just signed a contract extension. He's like, oh, Andre's going to score whether he's here with another team. He's he's a scorer. Um, that that kind of fascinated me. And Clay did a good job laying this all out. He's Kuzmenko's twenty seven. He scored thirty nine goals last year, seventy four points. If you're going to trade someone like Tyson Berry, or they ask for Dante Fabro and the Connor Garland talks and stuff like that, if 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 you're already going to trade a player like that, and it's only going to cost you a Fabro or or a Berry, and then maybe like a third round pick or something like that. I think that kind of trade makes sense, but I, I agree. I, I don't think you go out there and you try to go and get, you know, this this high price score, this big flashy guy, because you're not ready to compete yet. You make those moves when you're ready to compete. But you someone don't like go for it. You cannot go for it right now. Yeah. Don't quote. But someone you like Kuzmenko, someone like Kuzmenko makes sense because you need secondary scoring right now. He's a proven scorer. Also, like you're you're getting rid of a Barry or a Faber who you're going to trade anyway. And it's kind of like it's not exactly a one for one because you're probably gonna have to give up a draft pick or whatever, but it's one of those deals that makes sense for both parties. Other than that, I don't think adding pieces really makes sense because if like, like we've been just been talking about, if you need scoring, you have off of you have Kemmel, you have a couple guys you can call up that, that can, can give you that scoring if you want to give them a shot. And also added bonus, you find out, are they realistic pieces for next year's roster? Stay the course, just stay the course. And we'll spend a lot of time on this. So we'll have a whole entire episode on the deadline coming up. Don't, don't worry about it. We'll spend a lot of time on this. I'm sure, I'm sure there'll be lots of debates about what pieces they should or should not be trying to move or acquire or trade away or whatever, but stay, stay the course, stay the course. That's, that's my personal feeling uh, on all of this. Okay. Uh, go to Jasper's of course, happy birthday to Emma. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Michael, what do you have coming up on Nashville hockey now outside of trading for expensive 39 goal scorers? <laughs> yeah. Uh, also we had another, another writer. His name is Russell Venosi. He has a story up today about where uh, Luke Evangelista kind of falls in the, in the Calder cup race. Uh, there's good, good, interesting info in there. I will have a more in-depth story 
breaking down the trade proposal or the trade deadline stuff like that as well, probably up tomorrow morning. Off the table, Luke Evangelista. Emma, what you working on? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I've got uh, an in-depth piece on the Cody Glass situation that went up this morning, kind of looks at his journey, how he's gotten to where he is, how the Predators have or have not helped him and, you know, what kind of the path forward is. And then uh, got another kind of news and notes piece that covers the the Smith extension, the Parsonen reassignment, you know, the struggles at home, kind of all those storylines. And then, yes, as you could probably guess, I will have a longer story on the Cole Smith extension yes. coming up in the next day or two. I want 3,000 words on Igor Avanafia's <laughs> first game from Michael and uh, 3,000 words on Cole Smith's $2 million contract. So uh, uh, you guys are great. Thank you so much for hanging out. Thank you guys for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, share the product, share the show. Give us all a follow. Subscribe to both the Hockey Writers and to Nashville Hockey Now and check out all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network. For Michael and Emma, I am Braden. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been the Gold Standard. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>